You're listening to the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast. Hi, and thanks for joining me for this latest episode of the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about the all-time favourite road trip movies, films such as Easy Rider, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, Thelma and Louise, Sideways and Midnight Run. There are some films indelibly linked with cars and bikes, and it's the same for films and music. Some soundtracks are as memorable as the visuals. Oscar-winning film score composer Hans Zimmer said that a great soundtrack is all about communicating with the audience, but we all try to bring something extra to the movie. That's not always entirely evidence on screen. Train Spotting, Pulp Fiction, Baby Driver and Do the Right Thing all have memorable soundtracks. But who selects the tunes for the films? As an A&R man living in Los Angeles in the 1980s, Tarquin Gotch was at the sharp end of the music business, finding new talent for Arista and then WEA. And he joins me for this week's episode of the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast. Tarquin's involvement in film started off when he met one of the most successful directors of the 80s and 90s, John Hughes. The man, of course, behind such iconic films, including Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Home Alone, Planes, Trains and Pretty in Pink. And as he tells me in the interview, it was helpful that Hughes was such an Anglophile, agreeing to many of Tarquin's choices and at times allowing a platform in the films for some of the bands that Tarquin had managed. He then worked as an executive producer on some of Hughes' most successful films, including Home Alone, before moving to Fox Television. He's also managed various actors and musicians through the years, including Jimmy Nail, Stuart Copeland, Rowan Atkinson and ACDC's lead singer Brian Johnson. Since he's been based back in the UK, he's produced a variety of shows from Crocodile Shoes with Jimmy Nail, Porridge, Cars That Rock and A Life on the Road. The last two, of course, fronted by Brian. So music, travel and increasingly, as you'll hear, cars have been important elements of Tarquin's career. And his ultimate road trip, well, I for one thoroughly approve. And it's a pleasure to welcome Tarquin Gotch to the Ultimate Road Trip podcast, live from his home in Sussex, as of course we're still in lockdown. Tarquin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for your time this afternoon. A pleasure, James, an absolute pleasure. Now, one of the things about this podcast, the Ultimate Road Trip, it's obviously a pretty simple premise. There are five questions, as you know. Um, But the people I speak to and I've spoken to have had and are having quite an interesting career. So I like to try and expand on the five questions a little bit, especially in terms of whether that's uh, relevant to what they and you have done in the past. And uh, first of all, seeing how you're doing in lockdown, how's, how's it been for you? Coping well in your beautiful yes. part of uh, England? Yeah, yeah, uh, mixed, uh, mixed bag, isn't it? I mean, there are some silver linings, um, not having to commute, uh, not having to fly around the world quite as manically or at all, frankly. I haven't been on a plane since February of um, last year. I mean, the reason I'm on this podcast is because you very kindly had my client, Brian Johnson, who I manage from ACDC, Indeed. on your podcast. And that's how you and I started to talk. And I was filming with Brian in Los Angeles literally as the world sort of locked down. Yeah. And uh, I, I went with him back to where he lives in, in Florida and was on one of the last planes out of Florida. And it was all, you know, really quite exciting. But that's yeah. the last time I flew. 
the the good side is that I've had all this quality time at home with my kids, which I wouldn't have had if life had been normal. I'd be all filming or doing whatever nonsense I do all day. And it's just been, an, that's been an absolute delight. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's uh, having time, a lot of extra time with family. And uh, you're talking about Brian. Obviously, he's been locked down in Florida, but uh, we'll come back to Brian and the people you're involved with today uh, as we head through the podcast. But we'll, we'll crack on with the first question, which is, of course, the car. Uh, what is a car for your ultimate road trip, the make, the model and the colour? And I know we'll, we'll touch upon this uh, in your business, especially in the film side of the business. You've you've come across a fair few different models of car and the things you've been doing with Brian. Obviously, the Cars That Rock was a great series. So it'd be interesting right. to know, be interesting uh, to know what you've chosen. Well, I was, um, you know, a, a, what do you call somebody who knows absolutely nothing about cars? Uh, I was one of those. And then I started working with Brian. And now I know more about cars than I ever really wanted to. But I did. I thought about your question. And really what you're looking for is a, a car that is loaded with emotion. And for me, I think that takes me back to the Range Rover, the classic Range Rover that came out in the early 70s. Yes. It was a, a three-door. Yep. And uh, I, a friend of mine had one and uh, asked me to drive it uh, back across Europe. And that feeling of the first time you drive a, a four-wheel drive and you're up high, it was mind-blowing. It was yeah. like, ooh. I mean, there was the VW van that gave you that sort of front feel yeah. of being sort of close to the road. But this was entirely different. This was sort of regal yes. and uh, it completely blew my mind. And I've always had a, a soft spot for the Range Rover ever since, and particularly that classic one. And particularly in the early days, it was green. Uh, it, they all seem to be green. I don't know if they were, but in my memory, they're all green. Green or a yellow, a kind of a mustardy yellow. Yes, they had a was, disgusting mustard colour too. Yeah, which they've, I think they've brought back or some a, a version of, but uh, fabulous design. It was uh, Charles Spen King, I think, who designed the Range Rover. The three-door, especially as you say, Tarquin, is the classic and it's still the most pu the purest design of them all. My good friend was American and, and he was so proud of his Range Rover, he shipped it back into America because they didn't make them in America until the 80s. Right. So to have a Range Rover in America and uh, I went to visit him in Aspen. He had a house in Aspen and he went away and he said, why don't you stay? You know, look after the house, drive the Range Rover. Fab. Which I, I did. Unusual I back then in the States maybe as well. Oh, I was king of the town. I was, the, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, getting all the looks until I drove it into a mountain. Oh dear, okay. The A-frame. So that was the end of that? That was the end of that. Almost the end of the friendship. Well, you, you mentioned the Range Rover and uh, I think one of the, your past clients, Rowan Atkinson, always had a very good look. He was on Top Gear, I remember, years ago. And, he's, and he gave, because Rowan Atkinson obviously knows an awful lot about cars and has owned lots a of different lot. models. And he had this, the imperious view of a, of a Range Rover driver. It was... Uh, describing it or uh, performing it to Jeremy Clarkson and, and the guys. And I think that was brilliant. He was a very, as I say, imperious and uh, perfect kind of, uh, uh, you know, look for a Range Rover. But it's what a great car to do a road trip. I mean, it's... It uh, was, uh, you know, driving across Europe in that. And I'd like to uh, 
re relive that uh, and drive across uh, Europe again with, shall I tell you who my guest would be? Well, we'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. What I did want to quickly touch upon, uh, Tarquin, is your career has been wide and varied. I mean, you started, as I said in my piece, in music publishing in A&R, and then because of that, you got into music supervising for some of the most iconic films of the 80s. I mean, the films that myself and my wife and my friends grew up with, the John Hughes films especially. And yes. John Hughes liked his cars. A lot of those films, a lot of people remember for the music, courtesy of your good self, and also the cars. If we could talk, we'll talk about the music in a minute, but the cars, you know, Ferris Bueller being Ferris one of the Bueller most iconic. One yeah. with, with the Ferrari and um, I mean, two, you know, A, the Ferrari, when he does that shot of it sort of take, when the uh, valet parkers take it for a joyride. Yes. And, and we play the Star Trek, um, yeah. as the Star Wars Star music Wars. Yeah, as yeah. it takes off. Um, and then, of course, um, pushing it out the garage, the back of the garage and destroying it. Uh, so, yes, he was. And... Um, you know, he used cars for comedy uh, frequently. Uncle Buck, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. The cars were trashed old American cars. Yeah. Um, but I saw an article earlier saying he liked his woody cars, the ones with yes. the with be it Uncle Buck, be it the great outdoors with a Jeep Wagoneer, and as you say, with with planes, trains, and the was it a Chrysler Baron? I did my homework. Yeah, Chrysler Baron. I think it was. Yes. Well, John, you know. I wouldn't say he was obsessed with cars. He liked, he tried to buy American. So there, there was a lot of driving around in, in Jeeps, the, the big four wheel drive Jeeps and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Uh, he tried to buy American. He's from Chicago. He's from the Midwest. He is the quintessential middle-class American. And um, uh, so that, you know, but of course he had to also try BMWs. And yes. And his Porsches and uh, and his British cars. I saw an, actually in an article you you said that he was quite an Anglophile. So in Ferris Bueller, there's an MG next to the, that Ferrari. Obviously, yes. it wasn't real, but in Cameron's dad's garage. Well, you're absolutely right. John was a, an Anglophile, and after he retired, he retired back to Chicago and he bought a load of land outside of Chicago and, and had a farm, a bit like right. Jeremy Clarkson. Yes, and it was a totally English farm. English right. animals, English hedges. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's lovely to know. Um, back to the Range Rover. So I didn't ask. It would be a classic, specific colour. Well, yes. It, I mean, it, you and I were just discussing how it, they mostly seem to be green. There was the disgusting mustard. If they had a black one, it would be black. Okay. Because, you know, black is the best colour for all cars. I mean, I think all cars should just be black. Why the Range Rover in particular? Is it the design, the feeling it gave you? I mean, you touched upon earlier. It's the regal feeling as you drive. The way it drove was different. Yeah. It, it really was impressive. And the fact that you could see so much. And, you know, when you've spent your life in sort of, well, ordinary cars, that elevation is is dramatic, and and particularly when you're driving across Europe, or and I also had the good fortune to drive across the states in one, and it, you just feel like you see more of the country. Yeah. So talking and about that, um, you know that that feeling of height is particularly attractive to women. It makes them feel safer. 
Um, uh, and, you know, so, you know, maybe I was getting in touch with my feminine side. <laughs> And of course, go back to Brian Johnson's Cars That Rock. I always remember, uh, looked up on Land Rover as well, obviously the precursor of the Range Rover. Was that him or the cars or were you given a, a list and you had to help pick them out? It's, it's a, a bit of both. And it's the same with our current TV series uh, On The Road, which isn't about cars, which should be, it's called On The Road, but it's actually about being on the road with, with rock stars. Yeah. And what you do is you you say, you know, you, you suggest names to Brian and if he's he likes them, you have to do the same process with Sky. And as right. a producer, it, that's a delicate dance because you don't want to say to suggest names to Sky and then fall in love with them and then Brian say no. And you don't want to do the opposite. So it's a very delicate maneuver, this sort of getting approval from two parties that have very, very different agendas. Brian yeah. just wants to hang out with who he wants to hang out with. <laughs> And, you know, Sky are obsessed with whatever that, you know, networks are obsessed with, demos, and what other shows they've got on. For instance, we would suggest uh, interesting people and they'd go, oh, no, you know, Alice Cooper, we've got a special with him already. We right. don't want more Alice Cooper, not because we don't love Alice Cooper, but we just certainly have enough Alice Cooper. Sure, sure. And so, Tarkin, you were touching upon the destination. You were thinking... Europe in the Range Rover. So do you have a particular place? I, I do. And so it I'll takes me back to Brian Johnson. We were, we filmed uh, at the Lamborghini factory in Moderna and uh, just outside Bologna. Yeah. And we had a fantastic time. And, it, you know, it was fascinating for me and, and the food and everything. And Brian says the next place we're going is Mulhouse to, to do... Um, uh, whatever, whoever's up there. Okay. Um, and uh, he said, let's drive. I said, okay, great. You know, but then I've got to hire a car. So, you know, first hiring a car that is acceptable to a rock star who has a garage with, you know, he's got five cars at home. Then he's got another garage with another eight. And that's just in Florida. You know, there's more. Yeah, I'm sure. So if I... Uh, and then the journey, and, you know, I'm not a poor man. I have had a successful career, and I'm used to travelling, and I found various hotels that I thought were uh, pretty good. Yeah. But, of course, Brian is a level up. And so, you know, all my hotels were, were frankly, my choices were just not good enough. <laughs> no. I'd like to do it again. Yes. And this time, you know, really get the right hotels push the uh, boat yeah yeah push the boat and and we got a good one in in switzerland and you know i'm out looking at the uh, the view and it's absolutely gorgeous and mountains and i'm uh, thinking oh this is so peaceful and he's thinking oh well, shall i buy a house here I'm oh like, good lord <laughs> a whole different uh, conversation starts happening different yeah. different um but you, you were saying switzerland and the hotel was there a specific I mean, I've been to a couple of quite nice hotels in Switzerland, but I don't know whether it's a specific one or a specific... Uh... There was, but I can't remember the name, but, you know, it's just that majestic lake. of the mountains. And, and the mountains. And, and by the way, the, 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 the way the Italians... I mean, if there's a difference between the way the Italians build roads and what we do here is if they see a hill, they go through it. Yes, they just tunnel. Tunnel. And miles, yeah. Miles. There's no 
there's nothing that can't they won't tunnel um whereas we tend to go in great loops and curves in order to avoid any sort of uh, mechanical digging That's i don't true. know what our problem is uh, because i love those uh, tunnels and um i was just talking to a friend of mine john briley and he he said he was at a, a conference in Cannes, and one of the italian reps had driven down from milan and along that coast to Cannes, yep. which has tunnels 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 it does yeah just bought those new sunglasses that automatically dim and brighten, dim and brighten. So as he was driving, he kept having to do this. Raise <laughs> his <head>. dog. <laughs> By the time he got to Cannes, he had a, a, a stiff neck and spent the whole of Cannes like this. <laughs> Occupational hazard of driving to Cannes through the tunnels with rea yes. reactor lights, aren't they? they're cool. Reactor lights, that's yeah. what they Yeah. Um, so... Destination, fabulous. Just again, thinking about the films you worked on, thinking about destinations and, you know, there, there are a few road trips involved in those films. Obviously, you were saying with Ferris Bueller, with the, the Ferrari around Chicago or... But, but trains, I watched Trains, Planes and Automobiles the first quite recently. It was on just before Christmas, I think, on, on, on terrestrial telly. As a, it was, obviously, the car was only a, a short amount of time of the film, but again, it's, uh, you know, a great piece of cinema and a great road trip film. It's my favourite of, of John Hughes's films. It's the one I'm, I think it's the one I'm most proud of to have my name on because I think it's his finest writing. Um, it's incredibly personal to him because he was an advertising guy. He, Steve Martin, that's John. He did that. Um, and in the original film, there was a lot more of the family back in Chicago waiting for Steve to get home. Right. But frankly, when you've got Steve Martin and John Candy being funny, you don't want to cut back. However marvellous the wife was, and she was, she was a lovely actress, I remember, but you just, we it, no. all on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And, uh, but it's a great road trip film. I, I thoroughly recommend it to anybody who, who hasn't seen it. It's, uh, it's a cracker. Yeah, it certainly is. Coming on to The Passenger, we'll be going back to Brian Johnson. So he would be your passenger? Am I, or, or am I wrong in gleaning that? Uh, no, you're right. You've, you've caught me, actually, because I'd make him drive. Because, <laughs> you know, he races cars. And also, he's not a good passenger. He's a terrible passenger. I can imagine. He wants you know, to be behind the wheel. He wants to be behind the wheel and, and I, I was driving somewhere and, you know, I sort of pulled out slightly too late and somebody honked the horn and it was like, oh God, you know, the worst thing ever happened. Um, so no, I'd make him drive and you can trust him utterly. I, I, you know, when you, you are a passenger with some people, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Your You're foot looking is for the, the brake brain. pedal. Yeah. Yes, yeah, all of that. None of that with Brian. You just know he's good so I'd make him drive and I could look out the window at Italy which let's all be honest is just one of the best countries in the world oh no beautiful yeah um we're going to come on to the music in a second one road trip film I've completely forgotten to ask you about but I don't know whether you works on it was National Lampoon's Vacation which obviously uh, yes, again is an old is a, an amazing road trip film with the uh yes not the original one that was uh, something John wrote when he was still working at the uh, National Lampoon. Um, and 
that very early days. Yeah. I did work on Christmas Vacation, um, but that's not as much of a road trip, frankly. No, it's not. But a great film, again, thinking of the cars that, that he got in his film. Wagon Queen Family Truckster in the original film, I always remember. Oh, which, very good. Which sold for some silly amount of money. And I've also, going back to Ferris, the uh, one of the Ferrari replicas went for, I think, three dollars $400,000, below the X number of million that an original. So it's amazing how these iconic, film cars you know yes. people people want it. it's a part of film history of course and well, uh, it, it's uh, i manage um stuart copeland uh, from the police and he uh, until recently he had a house in notting hill and a friend of mine emma cayman was walking past and she sent me a photo they put a, a plaque on on the outside of the house saying stuart copeland you know not a real one from they've done it the people uh, who own the house brilliant well add add some value you know yeah I can imagine, uh, well, Brian, I'm sure, must have one back up in his uh, place in Dunstan. Is it Dunstan? In he was born in Dunstan. In the northeast, um, yeah. And uh, lived there for the early part of his life, yes. And lived in various parts of, uh, of Newcastle, but hasn't uh, lived there for quite a while now. No, of course. So we've got the Range Rover to the Italian Alps with Brian yep. Johnson. Those are the four questions. And then the fifth question is the music, which is what I'm going to find particularly interesting with yourself. Obviously, starting, as I said, at the, at the top of the piece in A&R and music publishing. Again, from an interview I heard, you passed on you too, which... Uh, Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that, James. Yeah, great. It's just a great story. One of my, other, one of my other ultimate road trip um, who I haven't put on yet is... Uh, Chris Wright of Chrysalis, and he passed up on David Bowie. So, you know, it happens to the best of them. I, I was a, my defence, my lud, uh, was that I was a very young A&R man and I needed to have hits. In order to secure your position, you need to have hits. And I went to Dublin and it was very obvious that the talent in the band, guitarist, the whole band, the whole band, but Bono, you know, captivating lead singer but they didn't have a hit single. Right. And I was like, I, I need something that's going to go straight away. Um, and, and that's why I passed because my record company at the time, which was Arista, you know, was run by Clive Davis in, in New York. He was a hit man. Right. He wanted hits and he yeah. wasn't a let's develop this band. And it is no surprise that you two ended up on Island where Chris Blackwell was someone that would develop bands right. and and you know more you know kudos and respect to Chris for pursuing that policy um you know at one point at Arista I signed Fela Kuti from Nigeria we put out one album not a hit that was it you know right. they wouldn't they wouldn't stick with it um so yes I passed on you too um uh, you know, more you than our man are the ones that you want that the company won't uh, take. Uh, while I was at Warner's, they wouldn't take Sade. The head of marketing said, well, you know, why do we, we don't want her. She seems flat. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. And, and what, wanted... whatever happened to her? As yeah. in, what an amazing career she's had, you know. Oh, brilliant. Just brilliant yeah. and, and consistent and, and lovely and a lovely person. 
And the other one was Jane Fonda's workout. I was, I was, you know, I had a teenage crush on, on Jane Fonda from Cat Baloo. Right. So I was keeping my eye on her for all the wrong reasons. And I saw the workout and I went, God damn, that's sexy. And I tried to get us to invest and they wouldn't. We're a record company. We do music. We don't do... Yes. And that actually probably earned more money than you too. I was going to say huge in the end yeah but uh, your music as i said again in my top piece was um you know your and your music choices helps us remember the films of john hughes as i say i'll go back to ferris bueller you know you you were managing and you still i think managed the beat if i'm yes. correct the dream academy and, and and you managed to get all these british bands in a lot of these films which must have been which were great for the films and great for the bands as well and your well, career, of course. You know, I think that not to... Well, John was a huge, as we've already mentioned, a huge Anglophile. But the reason for that was that when he was going through high school, your musical taste dictated who you were. And for him to display that he was a little bit of an outsider, having um, knowledge and taste in import music said that this is a guy that's really thinking. This is a guy that's really on the, on the cutting edge. Yeah. And he brought that sensibility to his films. And so my meeting John, courtesy of the wonderful Kelly LeBrock, was a gift to both of us. John suddenly had access to all sorts of up and coming English bands that even the people in America didn't know about. Right. And I had somebody who was willing to listen to them. So it really was um, fortuitous. And we went with it and we really um, had fun with it. We, we, I think we did some great work. We had a plan to have a record label so that we could you know, benefit from the platform that we were giving these acts. Yeah. But it actually coincided with John moving away from teen films and into adult comedies. And in adult comedies, there's no room to play teen music. Yeah. You know, in a, in a teen film, you can play a lovely long orchestral maneuvers in the dark or simple minds or whatever it is yeah. over some teen angst. You can't do that in a in an adult comedy. In an adult comedy, you've got a lot of people talking and making jokes. Yeah. Uh just thinking of two of the films and one of the bands you're involved with, Dream Academy, I think two of the memories for me the, in terms of music and visuals, obviously Ferris in the museum, please, please, yep. please by the Smiths, by Dream Academy, the instrumental, which was fabulous. And then of course, saw Planes Trains recently and that sequence, that very thoughtful, thought provoking at the end where he's thinking of what he's said, what Steve Martin is, is hearing what yep. he said. And, and that's a lovely piece as well. Again, by one of your bands that you on the score. We were really struggling with that end sequence until Nick Laird Close played the instrumental version um, of that of Reason to Believe uh, um, is the track and it just nailed it yeah. and it made it work and that's what music can do to a film is is elevate it and um, uh, it was a magic moment it was, that's the way John would work on on the films we would all go over to his house and with the film and just try, you know, 
I, I would come with cassettes of rough mixes and 12 inches and, you know, from England. And, yeah. and we just try things against picture until we found something that, that worked. Because Planes, Trains was originally all country music, I, I read. And that then was. they didn't like it. The audience, the tester audience said no, no. Well, that's right. We, I went to Nashville and I did deals with all sorts of country greats. And we had a test screening in the Valley in, in Los Angeles. And while they liked the film, they did not like the country music. It, it felt, they felt it made the characters too hick. Um, and, and so, you know, I can't go back to Nashville, uh, you know, because we had to let a lot of people down. But I will say that the, the scene with the pillow with Emmylou Harris. Uh, that you had, that's got to see, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. And also, because you're still very much involved with music today, you're still, as I said, managing uh, the beat. And obviously, sad news two years ago when Rankin Roger sadly passed away. Um, and obviously with uh, Mr. Johnson, Brian Johnson of ACDC, so, and Stuart Copeland, of course, uh, who, well, as a big police fan, I think that's great. And obviously, I've, I've heard of Stuart Copeland's pieces since. I always remember the Equalizer, he did the Equalizer theme tune, didn't he? He did. Late 80s. Yeah. So, so music, you're still very much involved. It's a, it, it was great gift coming back after living in Los Angeles and, and sort of clawing my way up the uh, film business. And, and then when I came back to England with my kids, I, I, it, it, it gave me a great freedom to, to go back to working in management. And I started with John Lord, God bless him, who was absolutely fabulous. And I suddenly had this new life of going to European cities with John to work with orchestras and and it was just magic. And so then I did, I started working with, uh, I met Brian through Jimmy Nail and I, I got him to write a book and, and that started. And now I'm working with Stuart Copeland and because I'm working with Stuart, I'm now also working with Andy Summers. So, you right. know, two down, one to go Indeed. Um, with the police. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but I, it is a huge privilege to work with um, these guys uh, you know, when I was an A&R man and signing people like the Stray Cats, you are working with very young people who are suddenly famous and suddenly rich. And it is a very destabilizing time. And it is uh, wonderful for me to come back to music and work with people who are now, you know, they know They've who they are, seen know what they want. It, and, and, you know, we're all it, grown up. It's easier now. I mean, obviously, you're far more, you're, you've got the experience, but it's, you'd far rather do it this way than, than the I fledgling. Have, I have to say, I, I love my life now. It is an absolute pleasure to work with these guys. And, you know, if only so that we're, we're in theatres, which, you know, well, where the curfew is 10.30 and we can go back to the hotel and have a glass of wine. Yeah, there's going to be a, going to be a lot of bookings going in when, when curfews get... Lifted. So we, yeah. we've, in a in a slightly uh, higgledy piggledy way, we've come to your tune for the road trip. So great to hear about your career in music. But one tune, not the easiest question. Well, I've given you a clue because I I mentioned uh, Emmylou Harris and she sings on this track. It's not her track. It's a Grand Parsons track, really. Right. Um, and it's uh, in my hour of darkness, and it came out in 1973. Yep. when I was driving the Range Rover, the original classic Range Rover uh, across Europe. Yeah. And I was blown away by 
Graham Parsons. I was a fan of the birds. And then this strange country thing came along and I was like, oh my goodness. But the, in that song, it says, uh, oh Lord, grant me vision. Oh Lord, grant me speed. And for a driver, <laughs> you can't ask for any more than that, can you? I mean, yeah. that's it. You really can't. Is it a track that you've tried to get in a film at all in the past or? Doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work that way. You know, what you start with is the movie and you have to bring something that is going to elevate that piece or, or emphasize the, the feeling that the director wants in that piece. So the film dictates what music you can bring. Yeah. Um, and sadly, I haven't had a, a, a driving scene that's required that sort of plaintive, beautiful um, emotion that, that Graham and Emmylou brought to that track. Right. Um, and and Emmylou, you know, that is the year that um, Graham passed away. He, he died in 1973 and uh, his wife was not happy about Emmylou and uh, Graham and Emmylou's relationship. Yeah. I surprise. <laughs> and so Emmylou was taken off the front of the album. Her credit was dropped and her a couple of her tracks were taken off the album. And that's the only one that survived. Right. And it, it, it's another reason why I'm sort of keen on it because she deserves huge credit for that album. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that sounds an, a wonderful trip. Range Rover, Three Door, Brian, yeah. Italian Alps, Emily Harris. You know, you just, just need the country to open, just be, need to be able to drive through France now, which at the, at the time of uh, broadcast isn't uh. happening. Thank you so much for your time talking got this afternoon. It's uh, it's been it's been great. I mean, obviously, we're really looking forward to more of Brian in the cars. And maybe he told me the last person you spoke to was Dave Grohl before you you had to uh, up sticks. So it'd be great. To, I'm sure you'd like to get back on the road in the states. That must have been seeing the states again, getting back to a place that you you got to know when you were younger. Absolutely, uh, uh, I'm Brian has a huge bus. And my current obsession is trying to come up with a TV idea that means Brian can drive us all around in his bus. <laughs> so that, that's where I hope we'll be next year. That's the plan. Tolkien Gotch, thank you so much again for coming on the Ultimate Road Trip podcast this afternoon. Thanks for having me, James. Just his high beam light.